You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. So these last few weeks, as hopefully most people will be aware, um, we've been doing a series called Everything We Need. And we've been looking at this this passage from 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And I'm going to read it in just a second. Um, we probably pretty much know it off by heart by now. So if anyone wants to... No? No, no, no volunteers. Um, but yeah, I'm going to read it and remind us of what just what we're looking at. So um, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11. It should come up on the screen. In fact, I'll read it from the screen so it's easier for us. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if any of you do not have them, you are nearsighted and blind, and you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I was reading that just then, and I thought, when I got to perseverance, I was like, I do need perseverance to get through this whole thing, (laughs) whilst creaking my neck up a little bit. But there we go. So God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. It's by his grace, and unless we start to exercise those tools, we stagnate. The Apostle Paul, um, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, he talks about giving them milk when, like spiritually speaking, when they should be on solid food. Like he's feeding them baby food uh, because they're like infants. They're still spiritually kind of like infants. They've not grown up and matured. And I think it, this passage is kind, kind of mirrors it a little bit for me, this, um, that we've been given everything that we need, but we need to grow and develop and learn how to use these things that we've been given. So take my iPhone, for example. Other brands of smartphone are available. <laughs> it's going online, so we can't be seen to uh, be promoting one brand over the other. BBC neutrality and all that. Um, Yeah, so since the dawn of time, right, we've had everything we need to create an iPhone. But it's taken until now to actually create one. Mine's a few years old, though, so it's taken until a few years ago to actually create one. Um, The point is that someone somewhere put in a little bit of effort And they began to use these tools and they began to understand things. They began to develop like the language. They began to like start hacking trees down with little 
axes made of flint and stuff and they began to figure out that you could heat things up and mold them into certain ways they they figured out that you could make glass they move on a little bit they developed touchscreen technology all this sort of stuff um that we have this wealth of of human history which has all played its part in the development of something like the iphone and it's not an accident that we have it and it's not something that we could just achieve just because we had all the pieces so if some so even though all the pieces we've we've had them on on earth for the entirety of of life but we've like it's only recently that we actually managed to figure out how to put all this stuff together and make something like the iPhone with it maybe like another example that's a little bit more tangible maybe is when I was a kid I liked to play with Lego as some parents in the room will know from from their own experience and I didn't have the fancy Lego kits that where you buy like all the pieces and you put them together, follow the instructions and you create what it says on the box. I just had a massive tub of bricks. And so like I would create some things with it and I'd try like make a car that only had three wheels because it only had three wheels in the pack or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and no, but I try, I try and make these things and I'd, and I'd be looking at like, like these buildings and stuff around and I was like, Oh, I want to make like a house. And I made like a rubbish house that wasn't quite right or, you know, it had, the door didn't work or it kind of there was bricks hanging over the edge because I, I didn't do it right and all this stuff. Um, but there's people who who actually utilise these these little toys and make incredible stuff. Like you only have to go to the Lego Land to see all the amazing stuff that they that they've created. Or there's um, I wanted to show a little clip, but I didn't manage to get it of James May, who created like a full house out of Lego it had a key and everything and it was like it's incredible like and it, it actually looked really cool because it was like all the all the walls and the floors were like glossy and shining with the lights and stuff it looked amazing but anyway like you have the same tool set you can you can either create something amazing like that or you can create something less good <laughs> which is what I tended to do point is that some people harness the tools they've been given and some people don't and I think that's what Peter's warning us about a little bit here saying look you've been given the tools now you need to learn how to use them because if you don't you become ineffective and you keep looking inwards at your own problems and you you'll be walking around in in spiritual blindness like if if I went out and bought everything that I need to build a conservatory and then just left it in the back garden and prayed really hard for a conservatory, <laughs> like, it's not going to happen, is it? Like, I'm not going to get a conservatory until I actually figure out how to use those tools and build it. Like, I can't just, the fact that I've got everything I need doesn't mean that anything's going to happen unless I actually put some effort in and, and start to learn and harness these tools and actually figure out, oh, where does this, like, door go? Like, should it go on the inside or the outside? Like, oh, what's this hammer for? You know, like, if I don't use it, I'm not going to know, am I? 
I think that's not what God actually wants for us. He doesn't want us to just have the tools and just just pray that we'll will things will happen. Like He wants us to actually use them. There's this phrase that I'm sure we all know that a bad workman blames his tools. Well, the truth is, we all know the tools that we've got. So I'm not sure that blaming our tools will cut it, really. Like, God's given us everything that we need. So it's, it's up to us now to make every effort. Uh, that's, that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, guys, you've, it's all in front of you. You've got everything. And, and it's your job now to respond and to actually do something about it and put, put into action what you, what you believe. See, I don't think that God just wants believers. I think God wants belongers. In James 2.19, it says that even the demons believe. So the truth is, though, only sons and daughters belong. And when sons and daughters belong, they begin to take on the likeness of their parents. Have you ever heard it said that, that a child looks like their parents, like it's, it's said quite often? And you can see it, you can see the likeness. But you know that's true even for adopted children. Or for foster children sometimes. Like, my parents um, have a foster son. And I've been out and about with them many times. And they said, oh, your son really looks like you. And not, not talking about me, talking about my foster brother. And, and they're like, well, that's funny because he's like not actually our son in that sense. But he, he begins to take on some of the mannerisms and some of the ways of my parents and like he begins to kind of look like them whilst not taking on their DNA if that makes sense what he's doing is he's belonging his physical appearance hasn't changed but he's belonged or even people who've been married for a long time like they don't actually look like each other but they sometimes you kind of think they do like they they just act in a certain way that they they take on these these things of each other and and it's like there's a shared identity because of because of that time that they spend together and and growing together and, and developing with each other in certain ways. See, James says that even the demons believe, but they're not actually displaying the attributes of God. We, though, who are called his sons and daughters. We need to begin to belong. We need to look like we believe and we need to start displaying these, these attributes that are in this list that we've, that we've been reading about. We need to start displaying them, making every effort. And that's why I think James goes on to say that faith without works is dead. Not in a sense of earning salvation, but in a sense that salvation is the starting point. It's, the start, it's like the starting pistol's gone off and we're now started the race and we can't just go right done sorted we need to actually put one foot in front of the other and start moving and start getting some momentum many many times like in the past the 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 end game the end goal has been to win souls you ever heard that phrase to to win souls like hands in the air for people responding 
people streaming to the front, people saying the sinner's prayer, all these, all these great and amazing things. But that's a great place to start. Uh, but at the same time, is a terrible place to end. It's a starting point. I think that's the point of this series, in a sense, that, that God's called us to something bigger, and he's given us everything that we need to get there. And the great thing is that we're not left on our own. We've been given this, this list of things that we make every effort to add to our faith, that they'll, they'll help us figure out how to use these tools in our day-to-day lives. So, last week we were looking at perseverance, and Julian was sharing with us about all sorts of things, about being surrounded with people, not, and putting, not going it alone, putting people around us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and having this eternal perspective. And this week we're, we're looking more closely at godliness. And godliness is, well, what is it? Like it's, it's, a, it's a word that I think you can move on to the next. Oh, no, you can't yet. Actually, sorry. I'm, I'm interfering here. It's not working, is it? So godliness is it's a word that, that I've kind of gone, okay, yeah, sounds great. don't really know what it is. Like, what, what is it? So I was, I was looking into things, and, and as you do, and as we find it in, in Second Peter, it comes from, um, from this Greek word that now is going to be on the screen, eusebeia. And this, this Greek word has a whole host of, of meanings and different things that it can infer. But the basic sense of, of what it's saying is it's like a reverence or a loyalty or a fear of God. Or to put it another way, it's, and this, I think this is the way that really works for me when I, when I was looking it up. Um, it's the duty which man owes to God. The duty which man owes to God. Like, for me, that's like our logical response to who he is and what he's done. It's to be made in the image of God and then to actually begin to act like we are. See, God says of us that we're his sons and daughters, but there, there comes a point. There comes a point where he begins to transform us more and more into that likeness. It's more and more into what that actually looks like. I kind of like to think of it as fidelity to God. Now, I quite like that word, fidelity. I quite like the idea of belonging that, that it brings and the fact that it carries a sense of duty along with it. And the word, the word to use of marriage, quite often you'll hear it in, an, in a negative sense when there's like a marriage breakup. It might be due to infidelity, like unfaithfulness. But it can also be used positively. It, you see, God's fidelity to man brings about our fidelity to him in response. I think God's fidelity to man was, was shown in Jesus, shown in the person of Jesus, in his faithful death and his resurrection. And our fidelity to him in response, as like his bride, as his church, we, we're responding to him exclusively 
and we hold to him and, and we live for him and we, we become formed more and more into his likeness. It starts, starts with the recognition, recognition of who he is and what he's done. And it works its way out in our response. And that's, that's kind of what I think about when I think about what does godliness mean. Like we, as Christians, we, there's this tension that we hold. There's a tension of about God, about him both being known and unknown at the same time. As being revealed in Jesus, but also at the same time whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. Like it's, it's, a, it's a tension that we have to grapple with. In, in the book of Hebrews, we find the writer talking about approaching the throne of God with confidence on the one hand. But then on the other hand, talking about how we should treat God with, with reverence and awe because he's an all-consuming fire. And all over the Bible, we see these tensions. You see, Isaiah 6, there's the prophet Isaiah is talking and, and he's, there's this encounter with God that he has. And it's so intense and he's so full of fear. He thinks he's going to die because he's in the presence of God and all his sin and shame has been revealed. And God, the angel touches a coal to his lips and, and his sins are forgiven. His sins are atoned for. Again, Paul in Romans talks about our sonship and how we can call God Abba, like our dad. Yet in, in 1 Timothy, we learn that he's like an unapproachable light. So it's like there's two sides to the coin that you're like, how, how is this all working? Or probably, probably one of the best examples is, is John, the disciple. The, he's in, the book of, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he's called the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And yet he sees Jesus in all his glory at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And his response is to fall at his feet. See, who he is, who God is, demands reverence and demands even a sense of fear. But the beauty of God is that when we reach that point, he says to us, fear not. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because he's adopted us into his family. See, we can know what godliness is about we can have an, an understanding of it we can understand the duty that we that we owe to god is is fidelity and we can come to a place of fear so that we then have god say fear not to us but but it's because when god says fear not it's precisely because we've we've given everything over to him and we've allowed him in and we've said, you know what, God, you can have all of me here because I'm actually, I'm not worthy. In, in light of who you are, you need to take my life. You need to take, take it and use it for your will because it's not mine anymore. And he, and he says yes to that. And the scriptures say, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? Got this tension of a God who demands fear but tells us as his sons and daughters to fear not. And then he's on our side. So who can be against us? 
God demands our all, but that requires us to say to that you know Jesus, you're the center. God, you're the center. You're the front and center of my life. That's where that's where I'm putting you. I'm putting you in that place of honor. I don't know about you, um, but for me, as a child, and don't answer this if, if you still see this trait in me now. But as a child, we'll put brackets around that, that age group, I was always about being the centre of attention. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. What, what's funny? <clears throat> I was always about being the centre of attention. I thought every every class that I was in had to be about me. Um, every, every club, I remember like doing random things in assemblies to draw the attention to me rather than the person at the front and and sometimes got me in a little bit of trouble. Um, I remember the phrase, the world doesn't revolve around you, um, far too often than it's, than it's worth actually remembering like how many times that happened to me. But, you know, I was a child who thought everyone should focus on me and did get me into trouble. But you see, the, I had to come to this re- realisation even to just get on in life a little bit, that the world doesn't revolve around me. And I think a little bit, all of us have to get to this realisation. The world doesn't revolve around us. We, ha- we have a choice. We, we either live for ourselves, or we live as though he reigns. And let me, let me just tell you, like no matter how much you might like to think that he doesn't reign, like he does. So you can either you can either live in complete ignorance of that, or you can actually accept the fact that God reigns. His kingdom reigns forever and ever. And he's the Lord and he's the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And he wants us to participate in his kingdom, but he doesn't force us. He wants us to be people who say, actually I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to yield who who I think I am. I'm going to I'm going to give over to you God so that so that you can move through me and through my situation. He waits though. He waits for his invite inside. He doesn't force us, but he does desire to be at the center. He does want that place of honor in your life. We we can express our love for God um, at times but I think sometimes we need to question whether we're, we're showing this this fidelity to him that he requires of us in response like we can we can spend um, we can we can do a little prayer before a meal we can spend an hour and a half on a Sunday but but do we actually give over to God? What he what he wants of us? Do we do we put him front and centre? And this is as much a challenge to me as it, as it is to everyone else. I read the, a quote this week that will come up on the screen, which sums up this point really well. It says the idea of falling in love is nonsense. Love is many things: intentional, costly, sacrificial, but never accidental. I thought those little um, vegetables looked quite nice. 
So I thought they looked like they were in love a little bit. Is it just me? I don't know. But that's the point really, isn't it? Like, love is never accidental. Like, the, the idea of falling in love is a weird concept, really. We don't love God by accident. It's something that we have to put work into. It's something that we have to continually try and, and do. And sometimes it feels like a slog. Sometimes it feels hard. But we make every effort to add to our faith these attributes. In an effort to live as the person that God says that I am. See, God declares something over us when, when he says that we're sons and daughters. He declares something over us that says, no longer a sinner. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're, you're redeemed, you're restored. I don't think, I don't think God is an out there God. I think God is an in here God. And God by his spirit, this is what I mean by that, God by his spirit dwells inside, inside each one of us. Inside you and inside of me. And he, he isn't just along for the ride. He, he wants to be centre stage. He wants to be the main thing. My, my old pastor used to say um, quite often, let's keep the main thing the main thing. And, uh, and it got a little bit of like a catchphrase because he probably said it too many times in sermons. But I remember it anyway. So, And you know, in your life, in my life, Jesus needs to be the main thing. His spirit's voice ought to be the loudest voice inside of us. Ought to be shouting the loudest. It ought to be the thing that we listen to the most. Why? Because God deserves the place of highest honour. God is who he is and he's done what he's done and as a result he deserves the highest place, place of highest honour in our lives. Not, not a short prayer, not, a, not an hour and a half on a Sunday, but centre stage in your life. In fact, I would go as far as to say that your life, my life, is no longer my own. Because it's in Christ. And to, to paraphrase, paraphrase Paul a little bit. In Christ I've crucified the flesh. And I don't live anymore. But Christ lives in me. Because of his faith. Because of his grace. We live and breathe. So actually who are we to take it back? We've given it away to God, who demands the highest honour and the highest praise. And we've, we've pledged to give that to him. We've said, actually, take it. Take it from me. Not just, not just take it from me in, in my words, but I'll carry on doing what I want to do. Thank you very much. Um, like, take it from me and... and Inform my actions, inform my words, inform my relationships, inform the way that I live so that it looks more and more like you every day. That's what godliness is about. Growing in godliness means that we're required to look different. 
our lives look different from those around us, not because we're better than anyone else, but because we've given away our own desires to someone who is better. We said, Jesus, take all of me because I can't do this on my own. And who I am is only because of who you are. And that's only how I can live. Like it's funny, you you become a Christian. Um, I'm going to end in just in just a minute, but you you become a Christian, and you don't have to. Someone doesn't have to tell you that you're sinning. Someone doesn't have to tell you that you're you're in the wrong, or you're you're doing something that's that's against sort of God's will. Because like you kind of know, like for me anyway, like I kind of know. I have this new conscience that. That, that comes with the spirit living inside me. And it's like a new awakening, like a new spiritual awareness that something is, is just not God's best for your life, for my life. You're, you're almost obliged to stop doing it or certainly to stop feeling okay about something that you, that you were be doing before. And that's, that's the spirit, that's the power of the spirit of God. Moving it in, that wasn't, that was the speaker. Um, <laughs> see, living in us, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. Let's not stifle it, let's not try and put it out by trying to take back what we've already given away. Let's make every effort to grow in it, grow in our fidelity to God. Like, we don't get it right all the time, but tomorrow can be better than today. And the day after can be better than that. And that's that's what that's what making every effort is. It's not about getting it right and trying to and trying to, you know, be perfect. But it is about being a little bit better than tomorrow than I was today. And if I'm not, then I, there's a, there's always the next day. Maybe the battery's going, I don't know. Maybe it's trying to sell me something. See, we need to add to our faith this attribute of godliness by our decisions, our thoughts, our actions. Let's make every effort to no longer conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as we begin to recognise who God is, and we begin to realise that it's because of his great love and for the fidelity to us that we owe him this duty of reverence, of fear, of fidelity we begin to want to place him in the centre of our lives of all that we are and all that we do and as we do that we begin to realise that our lives belong to God and we act with the help of the spirit in a way that honours who he is and godliness as a result begins to grow in us So that's really all I wanted to share tonight. And maybe, Tom, if you want to come up. But I just wanted to encourage us to, to make every effort to grow in godliness and to not be put off by, by it seeming like a lofty word that seems like I don't even know what it means or what it is or, or how I'm supposed to be more godlike. 
because it's kind of scary. But just to break it down and go, it involves me giving over to God what's his and allowing him to then take control and allowing him to do what he does best in all of our lives. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.